Welcome to CEO to Rainmaker, the Inland Empire's best small business podcast. The show's goals are to educate, motivate, and inspire today's business owners, leading to an increase in their executive skills, profits, and length of time in business. And now your host, Gene Valdez. Episode number 56, how to get big bucks when you sell your company with Mr. Wayne Slavitt. Today's episode is brought to you courtesy of two new corporate sponsors I am happy to mention, GYL CPAs and Business Advisors and Luminary Leaders. GYL provides a full range of accounting, audit, business advisory and tax services for businesses, nonprofits and individuals. They are one of the top CPA firms in the Inland Empire. Luminary Leaders is an interesting business headed up by Shelley Harrison. Luminary Leaders helps small business CEOs and thought leaders of companies to be unforgettable by unlocking their speaking potential to leverage and amplify their influence. They are also one of the finest firms in the Inland Empire. Today's topic is near and dear my heart since I am a baby boomer and have owned two previous businesses and I am working on a third. The subject of exit planning and maximizing business value is one of my favorite topics and I think it should be yours as well. Selling your business for top dollar is your massive payday for all the hard work, pain and sacrifices you have endured. I have devoted three past podcast episodes to this topic previously, but nothing as definitive as what my guest today, Wayne Slavitt, brings. His book is a veritable encyclopedia on the subject matter. I have a copy of the book. Wayne is the CEO of Primark Group, a consulting company. Wayne is an expert in maximizing business value and exit planning. He's also a certified exit planner. Wayne has a very, very broad-based business background, is sought after as a public speaker and guest lecturer. Wayne's also an author who recently penned a book entitled Run It Like You'll Sell It. I read the book and it is excellent. So let's bring Wayne out. Wayne, how are you? And thank you for being a guest. Hi, Gene. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here today. You know, Wayne, I um, I read your book. There was a, a sentence, a quote that you stated that just astounded me. And it was, this, was, this is what it was. As few as 20% of companies that are put on the market ever sell. Wayne, what's going on here? Why does that happen? Well, it's a great question, Gene, and it speaks to the heart of what we'll talk about today. Uh, the Exit Planning Institute has studied this topic very carefully, determined that if you look at transactions that a business owner wants to, to accomplish, selling their company, where four out of every five companies is not successful, they don't get the price they're looking for, they don't get the terms, or they never find a buyer, and they cannot consummate the transaction. Why is that, though, Wayne? That I mean, educate me. Why is it? Well, there are a number of reasons, Gene, but the one that floats to the top of the list, you know, I can give you the preliminaries. They could be the company isn't marketable. 
the market isn't interested in that kind of company. It's basically just a lunch ticket for the business owner, too small of a company. But what really happens, if you start to look at what really goes on, the number one reason is the lack of preparedness. The company is just not ready to be sold. And what would you recommend is the time of preparation that they should engage in before they even think of the thought of selling the company? Sure. Ideally, Gene, we want three to five years. Three to prior, five years? Three to five years <laughs> prior to the anticipation of a sale. Now, we don't always get it. You know, you, you're laughing at that and you're right. Not, we don't always get that. I have had as little as no time where an owner contacts me and says, my CPA just referred me to you. I've got a letter of intent. Can you help me close the transaction? We get no time to prepare. And, and the success is low then too. I say three to five years because I know that if we have three to five years to prepare a company, we're going to be able to handle most of the issues and be able to therefore, more likely than not, successfully close a transaction. So Wayne, give me some examples of what you would, the types of preparation that you do in that three to five year period, Sure. if they gave you ample time, what would you start focusing on? Sure. Well, let's first answer that by determining what our goal is. Our goal is, as you mentioned at the beginning of your podcast today, it's to maximize business value. So we look at value based upon two factors. We look at the earnings or the EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. We look at trying to grow that as much as we can. And then on the other side of the coin, we look at trying to control, reduce as much business risk as possible. So those are the two things we're going to do. We're going to focus on growing earnings, and we're going to focus on reducing risk. During that period. During that period. <clears throat> okay. Well, that makes sense. So let's take a little segue, Wayne. You weren't born an exit planner. How'd you get, how'd you get started in exit planning? Well, I, it certainly was not something I intended to do, Gene, but I got early in my career, I got um, asked to, um, to leave the world of public accounting and to join a newly formed company that owned five companies in the wholesale electronic component business. And over the next six years, I helped consolidate three of the five companies into one and then package it up for sale to a British company. That took about six years. The process was fascinating. I was so enthralled by it because it enabled me early on in my career to identify areas that were sustainable, competitive advantages, things that were market differentiators, and also to understand what a buyer is looking for and how we're going to package that up to make it most attractive. Got that, it. Was, so that was early. So you've been on, on both sides of the fence then? Yes, sir. Both as an advisor to growing companies and as an entrepreneur, having started and run and sold off several companies that I've been involved with. Well, I think that's great because then that gives you a perspective of what the seller is trying to accomplish, what the buyer is trying to accomplish, what are some main areas that could just kill the deal. So you're like the triple threat. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I can tell you this. Having the perspective of both a business owner as well as an outside advisor does provide me with important perspective. So I, I like to say that I've signed both the front and the back of the paycheck. And I know what business owners go through. So when I ask a new client to walk with me down the road to get ready for sale, I'm doing it with the perspective of having been in those shoes. I know what yeah. it's like to own a company. And that's, that, that's important perspective. No, that, that, that is really important. And I, I think that kind of dovetails into my next question. I think you already answered it because 
there are certainly a lot of business valuation exit planning people out there in the marketplace. But what makes you unique versus your competitors is what you just said. You understand the, the psyche of the entrepreneur. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and I am not criticizing people who haven't had that level of experience or that breadth of experience. There are some very fine people out there who know how to do exit planning, but they've been doing that and that's all they've been doing. And I just think to be able to bring into the assignment, into my client's office, being able to bring in that perspective of having sat in those shoes, having sat in that chair, um, it really helps my client. This might seem to be a dumb question, Wayne, but do you approach each of your client differently or is there sort of a mental template that you go through or written template? Yeah, sure. Great, great question. Do you customize it? Yeah, that's a good question. So the initial work that I'm going to do, we call it the first five steps. And those are the same first five steps for each client. But then again, each client is different. Each client's story is different. Each client's financial performance is different. The makeup of their company is different. So each project is unique, but we have a framework that we start out with. And those are first the first five steps, we call it. And they are diagnostic deliverables that are then important for us to sit down with the client to say, here's how we perceive the situation. Here are the areas we need to address. And this is a timetable that we're going to recommend we go forward with. Got it. Makes sense. Would you mind sharing a a client success story you're proud of? You can leave the name of the company out if you'd like. Sure. Yeah. Let me back up. So what they were experiencing, they call Wayne the assassin. The Wayne comes in, he fixes it, and then they ride off into the sunset. So kind of before, during, and after. Sure. And that's a great question. When I mentioned three to five years, I will tell you that I've had a couple of assignments in excess of that. Wow. And I'll tell you the story of a client that I had eight years with before we sold. Eight years. Eight years. Unusual. (laughs) But I wasn't brought in initially to help get the company ready for sale. I was brought in because the company had identified that there was an embezzlement by their controller. Ah, Over a 12-year period of time, the controller embezzled just slightly less than $1 million from the company. So I was brought in to... First, we had to quantify the, the loss. So that was a million dollars sure. that we identified. I had to bring in a new CFO, a new controller who was, I call a firefighter CFO. He was used to troubled situations. Yep. He stabilized things. Then we recruited a more permanent CFO. And then over those next seven years, the company kept throwing projects at me. They enjoyed working with us. They liked the, the, the deliverables. And we started doing different projects. Eventually, we started talking to the owner about the next step. Do you want to run the company forever? No. When are you thinking about maybe handing over the reins? Let's talk about it. We started to get the process going. And then once we got real serious about it, we really kind of stepped in and and addressed some of those issues that needed to be addressed so that when we presented the company to the marketplace, we were putting on the best possible face. And then we ended up selling the company off to to a publicly traded company It was a great transaction for my client. There were a number of twists and turns along the way. From our standpoint, we were really given a lot of respect because of the performance that we had accomplished in prior projects with the client. Okay. So my target audience are the little guys, maybe 500,000 in annual sales to 20 million. Mm -hmm. But the fundamentals 
regardless of how many zeros they have on their income statement, it's still the same, right, Wade? Yes, for the most part. What we find with smaller companies, and I typically start at $5 million in revenues, go up to 100 So there's some commonality between the people you're talking to and who are listening to our podcast now and those people who are in, in my circle. The main difference, I think, Gene, is the depth of the bench. So the smaller companies are not going to have a controller or a CFO. They're probably not going to have a VP of operations, but they're going to have an owner. They're going to have a bookkeeper. They're going to have maybe a general manager. The process of getting a company ready for sale may look different for the larger companies, but the fundamentals are the same regardless of size. Gotcha. Gotcha. So again, Wayne, as I stated earlier, I read your book, Run It Like You're Going to Sell It. It's a huge book. What motivated you to write it? My ego. No, that's not true. (laughs) You got to have one of those. You know, during COVID, we all were home a lot and not flying here, not going there, not having meetings there, not going to networking events. So I found myself um, very busy, but, but also very efficient. And I said to myself, I'd like to have some kind of a work product from COVID. I want to accomplish something I normally wouldn't have had the time to. Because in in normal practice, gosh, you know, I'm so busy going from this client to that client, meeting this referral source and what have you. I also wanted to have something that I could hand to prospective clients or even current clients that we might be doing different work for, in addition to handing the book to a referral source. CPA firm. You mentioned GYL as being one of your sponsors. They're an accounting firm and they have clients who own companies who one day want to sell. So I wanted to have a work product, my book, that I can use as a conversation starter with people who want to work with me. And that's exactly what the book has turned out to be. Oh, that's a great idea. That's good marketing. So other than not giving themselves enough time to prepare, are there some like just major bad practices that owners are engaged in that maybe either consciously or subconsciously is sabotaging the value of their business? Without a doubt. And I mean, what might those be? Sure. The, The biggest one we see, the most common business risk area present, particularly in the smaller companies, is an owner who is so integral to the business that when a buyer examines the business and learns this, they're going to conclude that the business might not even be transferable. You've got a business owner who is involved in every major decision, even minor decisions, signing every contract, making every hire, making every fire, having the relationship with customers and vendors, so that if you're going to put $5 or $5 million check into their pocket, the next day, guarantee you they're not going to work as hard as they did when they owned the company. And then all of a sudden, there's a vacuum that's created because that business owner is not going to be as attentive as he or she was prior to the sale. How would you prevent that from the being relied where the company is, is in essence, the expertise of the owner? How do you overcome that obstacle? Well, that's a good question. If we do want to overcome it, and if the business owner is of the mindset to first admit that's the situation and then admit they want to correct it. Then what we would do is we would attempt to identify first someone internally in the company that could start to take over. That might be a situation. I have a client now where we've moved up the operations manager to chief operating officer. 
We have the intent to eventually make that person a CEO. That takes time. If it turns out there's no one internally to do that, then Gene, we have to go outside the company. And that costs money, that costs time, and we're not always going to be successful. So this is an area that is probably the most common business risk that we face with companies. Well, I, you know, I can identify with that because in, an, in another life, I was a banker. And in many cases where we made the determination that the business is indeed the owner, we would get a key man life insurance policy on the owner. Because yep. if something happened to the owner, you get hit by a bus, that loan wasn't going to be repaid because in your terms, there was no management debt. Yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. So as a banker, you financially guarded against that risk. Right. You're saying if God forbid he drops dead or she drops dead, we at least have money to pay off the loan. In a situation where we're talking about transferring ownership of the business from the current owner, who is a real command and control type person, to a new buyer, we have to make sure that we're putting into place a stopgap so that when the buyer looks at a company and says, oh my goodness, we have a lot of risk here, that we already have a number two person identified and maybe that person is already being groomed to step in. Yeah. Well, Wayne, I'm sorry to say we've run out of time, but this is just a complex situation. We can't devote 30 minutes to it. We just barely scratched the surface. So what's the best way to get a hold of you and maybe get a copy of your book? Sure. If any of my listeners you know, want to have uh, some clarifications on some comments that you made, but what's, what's your contact information? I'll also put it on the show notes just in case they forget. Yeah. Sure, Gene. Yes. So if, if anyone is interested in talking more about this, whether you're a company owner or you have clients who own companies, our website is primarkgroup.com. That's P-R-I-M-E-M-A-R-K group.com. And you can um, see my contact information there. And you can also um, request a free copy of the book. And if you are a referral source, such as an accounting firm, an attorney, wealth advisor, and you'd like some copies for your clients, get a hold of me and we'll put together a program and talk about it. That sounds great, Wayne. I, I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for carving out the time of your schedule. And that's kind of a wrap today. That, thank you, Gene. It. it was a great episode. So appreciate it. I hope to see you soon someday. Yes, sir. That'd be my honor. All right. This concludes this week's episode, listeners. If you enjoyed the show, Give me a like, a good review, and subscribe. Make sure to tune in like always, Monday morning. I have a surprise for you next Monday morning. And my thanks to Wayne Slavin. See you later. Bye-bye. This has been CEO to Rainmaker with Gene Valdez. To find out more, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you have questions, email the show. Find that link and others in the show notes. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.